The system of power turns like a wheel. You can rise to the top through money or steel. You could lift up others or leave them in muck. But it's the poor who will suffer when the wheel becomes stuck. If the problems aren't met with any solution, the wheel must turn in bloody revolution. The vermin will rise as the predator sinks. Let's see then if the fox can outsmart the lynx. The day after the summer ball was thankfully cooler than the days that had preceded it. Traditionally, the ball marked the end of summer, and so this seemed oddly appropriate. It was as if even the seasons themselves were also subject to the will and whims of Empress Sylvia. Lillian had woken early and gone to work. Her feet ached from so much standing around in unfamiliar shoes the night before. The few green-leaf trees inside the city walls were starting to show signs of turning. Patches of yellow and caramel brown dotted Lillian's journey to the gilded garden. Mr. Twitchit was in a good mood, and Lillian longed to tell him all about her encounter with the Empress, but she knew better than to get him involved. The fewer friends she had mixed up in that strange and dangerous world, the better. They talked of travel, of his son's work in Zant, and how Doma had apparently been a popular tourist destination in his youth, but since the revolution there, no one from Fridos ever went. Lillian swept the floors and dusted the displays. At mid-morning, she was sent to collect a sack of cedar dust from the market, and when she returned, she found that Mr. Atacop had visited the shop in her absence. "'That bald, bearded fellow, you know, stopped by,' said Mr. Twitchit, taking the heavy, hessian sack from Lillian. "'Oh, did he leave a message?' Lillian could hardly wait to tell Mr. Atacop all about the party. Yes, he said to go to the basement for Seventh Bell. Lillian smiled and set about replacing various tools in the back room of the shop. She found herself rushing her various tasks, eager for the workday to be over, and hopeful that Mr. Twitchit might let her go early if she was quick. At one point, she slammed a drawer filled with razor knives and looked up to check if Mr. Twitchit needed help with anything. He was sitting on the old armchair behind the shop's service table, gazing distractedly into the middle distance. Lillian had to crane her neck round the door leading to the back room to see him. He was an older man, but he was unusually active for someone his age. It was strange then to see him sitting so still. Lillian felt a pang of worry. Mr. Twitchit? she asked, approaching him slowly. He didn't seem to notice her at first, so she stepped closer. Are you all right, sir? This caught his attention, and he snapped out of his daydream and looked at Lillian. Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, quite all right. It's just a funny feeling. Lillian was curious. Their relationship had always been one of courteous professionalism, but she sensed he had something heavy weighing on his heart. Lillian dipped into the back room and poured him a cup of tea. His favourite was the infusion of lemongrass with just a drop of honey. She placed the clay mug in front of him and he muttered his thanks. The movement of the steam and swirling of the liquid seemed to send him back into a memory.
Lillian waited patiently, knowing that he was nearly ready to speak. He took a sip of tea, smiled, and started to talk. I was a young man when the Emperor died. The months leading up to it were difficult. People were stretched to breaking, tired, overworked, and underpaid. Fights broke out regularly, and he did nothing to stop them. Your friend, what is it, Atacop? He was there too. I didn't know him, I suppose I still don't, but I remember his face. He was a fighter, him and that checkout woman. Something about seeing him today, the atmosphere outside this morning. It all feels so familiar, like I'm twenty-seven again and change is in the air. Lillian waited, unsure of what to say. Mr. Twitchit had gone back to staring out of the window. Change can be a good thing, she said, hoping to restart the conversation. Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, it can be. But change is often difficult. We grow old and begin to ache. We try to find happiness and encounter heartbreak. For clay to become a cup... It must first be bashed and contorted, and then forced into a furnace. One does not fear the result of change. One fears the process. Lillian looked up at the shop filled with silent, staring birds and beasts, perfectly preserved and unchanging. By the time he finished his tea, Mr. Twitchit was back to his normal self, muttering nonsense and shuffling around his shop. The rest of the day passed by without any more musings on the past. Lillian thought about asking him questions, but his brief trip down memory lane seemed to have been quite upsetting, so she didn't want to bother him with trying to recall any more details. Besides, it was almost fifth bell, and Lillian was almost off work for the day. After eating a hearty meal of beef and dumpling stew in the inn around the corner from work, Lillian made her way towards Mr. Twitchit's basement storage building to meet Mr. Attercop. They had spent the past couple of weeks cleaning and converting the basement into a livable workshop where Mr. Attercop could continue his research away from his attic residence. Lillian assumed he would eventually go back to the attic, but for now it was still too dangerous, having been the scene of an intrusion destruction and assault on Fritha a little less than a month ago. She walked into the dark, tin-roofed structure and found the trap door. She was eating a sticky cinnamon bun she had bought from Winnie's Bakery on her way over and so used her free hand to grip the iron ring set into the floor and pull it up. The warm glow of candlelight spilled out from the hole and Lillian gingerly descended the rickety steps, shutting the trap behind her as she did. She ducked her head and peeked into the large room. To her surprise, there were quite a few faces that turned to greet her. The first she saw was that of Mr. Atticop, who smiled when he saw her. A happy, jangling sound came from behind him and Fritha emerged and ran towards her. Hello, lady, Lillian squealed in delight as she was nearly bowled over by the Fainhound's massive body. Fritha cycled between bright purple and sunshine yellow, her coat expressing the joy that words could not. 
Lillian felt her big tongue lash her cheek and giggled as she tried to calm her furry friend. It took a bit of cinnamon bun to distract Freether enough for Lillian to greet the other people in the basement. Lillian, you remember Katrina? Mr. Atkop gestured to a tall, red-haired woman sitting on an ornate wooden chair. She smiled and nodded. Hello again, my dear. Hair looks lovely. I tried the stuff you gave me, replied Lillian as she walked over to the group from the steps. I can see. Hi, Peter. Lillian noticed Katrina's son sitting by his mother's side. He wore a brown waistcoat with a dried pink rose in the lapel. He raised himself slightly off his chair and performed a small bow before sitting back down. Miss? Lillian thought the act rather formal, but was happy to see him there. She looked around the small circle of chairs. Her friend Catherine was there, smiling sweetly and dressed in a light blue dress. She was sitting next to William, whose hands were stained with ink, no doubt from the printing press where he worked. He gave her a small wave and Lillian smiled, happy to see him. It's so lovely to see you all, said Lillian, beaming and brimming with excitement. Well, we're happy to see you too, said Catherine. How are you? How was the party? Lillian was about to take a seat and answer her question when Mr. Atticop put his hand up to stop her. Just a moment, Lillian. Before you start, we're waiting on one more person. Lillian looked back to Catherine, who shrugged her shoulders. Oh, don't tell me. Katrina's face fell as she spoke. She was wearing pearls around her neck and bangled earrings that shook when she turned her head. She was as glamorous as when Lillian had first met her in the rare flower market. Cromwell, I thought he was back in Zant. He was, Mr. Atkop replied. But it appears as though he's back. I ran into him a few days ago. Or, more accurately, he ran into me. Lillian went to take a seat next to Catherine, who shot her a sly wink, equally in the dark as to who it was who was supposed to be joining them. Lillian raised her hand to take a bite out of her bun, but found nothing there to bite. She shot Freetha an accusing stare. The feinhound licked her lips and pointedly avoided meeting her eye. Just then, there were three loud knocks. They came from the trapdoor and boomed throughout the basement. Oh, here we go muttered Katrina. Lillian detected a weary groan in her voice. Please be civil, Cat. I'll be civil if he isn't such a... Her argument was cut off by the sound of the trap door opening. Its hinges squeaked and Lillian looked over to see a beam of light from the outside pierce the relative darkness of the basement. Strange, she thought. I don't remember it being that bright out. The golden beam picked up flecks of dust in the air, making them sparkle in the light like little daytime stars. A voice drifted down the stairs. It was as enthusiastic and bright as the light that heralded it. Hello? Is there anybody there? Little rabbits hiding in a hole. Lillian saw a pair of black leather boots with a thick wooden wedge heel appear at the top of the steps. We're here, Zadok. Come down and shut the trap behind you, please. Mr. Atkop addressed the boots. His request was met with a frilly laugh and the squeak of the trap door hinges. 
The boots became legs dressed in white cotton. They then led up to the tails of a white coat with gold trimming and bright buttons. Finally, the smiling face of a man appeared. He was roughly the same age as Mr. Atacop and had tanned skin and sandy hair. His most striking feature, however, were his eyes. Lillian could not see their exact colour from this distance, but they were bright and seemed to sparkle. What was stranger, however, was despite the sound of the trapdoor closing behind him, the amount of light in the room remained the same as when it had been opened. Well, hello, little rabbits. Just like you, Cromwell, to find the darkest hole in Fridos in which to hide. It's a beautiful day out. Why don't we step into the sun? His voice had a vibrant quality to it. In good time, please join us in the circle for now. Mr. Atacop gestured for the man to cross the space and join the group. He seemed hesitant, glancing back up the stairs to the trap door now and again as he made the journey. Silly hidey holes. I care not for this dark dampness. Little rabbits, let me look at you. Ah, a fish is amongst the rabbits. What a strange and wonderful sight to see. The man called Zadok looked at Katrina when he mentioned the fish. The comment produced a wry smile from her. Hello, Zadok. It's been a while. I see you've become a pater. The man glanced down at his official-looking coat. Lillian could see a symbol stitched in gold thread on the breast pocket. It was a blazing sun, sewn in intricate detail. Ah, yes, he responded. The church saw fit to promote me. Years of faithful service finally recognized. His eyes darted around the circle. Your boy, Peter, all grown up and clever like his mother. And who are these little rabbits? Mr. Atcock took on the introduction duties. Zadok, this is William Lincoln and Catherine Brown. They both smiled and waved as the man bowed deeply, whilst flicking and flourishing his right hand in looping circles until it touched the floor. Salutations, young ones. Mr. Atcock then gestured to Lillian. And this is Lillian Lausanne. Everyone, meet Zadok Korshid. The man turned to look at Lillian. As he approached, she could see small flecks of brilliance in his eyes. They were not just bright. Something in them was reflecting the light, like small flecks of gold in a stone. "'Ah,' he said, "'the little moon, madame. I hope this old goat is not treating you too harshly. All that sitting around in the dark. Don't forget to enjoy the sunshine every now and again.' Hmm? The man grinned slyly, and Lillian smiled. "'That's all right. I quite enjoy sitting in the dark.' The man made a show of rolling his eyes and tutting jokingly. Of course you do. Now, it's always a pleasure to meet Cromwell's friends, but I'm assuming that is not the only reason I am here, hmm? Who needs my help? No one, Zadok. We are not asking for your help. I want that to be very clear from the start. Lillian wondered why Mr. Atacop had cut off his friend so harshly. Surely he was just being friendly. Zadok whipped his white coattails out from under him and sat down. 
How very boring, he said, almost to himself. I can already tell this meeting is going to be a barrel of laughs, Katrina interjected. If you don't like it, feel free to leave. Enough, you two. Mr. Atkop's tone was stern, like that of a scolding schoolmaster. Zadok stuck his tongue out at Katrina, and Lillian got the distinct impression that these three had known each other for a very long time. Now that everyone was gathered, attention turned to Mr. Atikop. He pulled up a rickety wooden chair and sat down. As most of you know, last night was the summer ball up at the palace. Our friend Lillian here managed to receive an invitation. This was fortuitous, as we've been investigating the courthouses, believing them to be the home of the blacksmith who makes these brooches. He pulled out the silver hand and held it up for the group to see. There were creaks of wood on wood as a couple of people pulled their chairs closer to have a look. Katrina held out her hand. May I see that? Mr. Atkop handed it to her and continued. The reason for the investigation is that we have found or seen these brooches in several different situations over the past year, all of them bad. That one was left on the floor of my attic after a break-in. The attackers stole several vials of lunar essence and some bottles of a horrible substance called nightshade, which I care less about. The worst crime was the injuries inflicted on our furry friend over there. He gestured to Fritha, who had found a soft carpet a few feet behind Lillian and was currently lying down, eyes closed and breathing deeply. My skies, muttered Zadok. Is that a feinhound? Yes, it became quite attached to Lillian in Ben Luna and followed us on our journey to Fridos. I do not know why someone wanted to harm her. I am hoping these brooches are the breadcrumbs that will lead us to the answer. Katrina had passed the silver hand to her son, who was currently inspecting it. It's intricate work. You say there are many like this? His voice was high-pitched and friendly, just as Lillian had remembered it. I know what you're thinking, Mr. Atkop replied, and I don't think they're from a mold. We have two in our possession, and there are too many slight differences. Besides, if they are made in secret, a mold would be a loose end. Finally, he turned to Lillian, who had been itching to speak since the meeting started. Lillian, I'm glad to see you safe. Tell us, did you manage to find anything useful? Lillian started her story from the second she said goodbye to Mr. Atacop at the palace gates, and she did not stop talking until she explained what Genevieve had said when they had parted. By the time the tale was over, the sun had set. Lillian took a long swig from Catherine's waterskin and glanced at one of the small windows at the top of the basement wall. She could see the starry night sky and thought it strange that it hadn't gotten any darker inside. So, you think this cat's woman makes the brooches? It was William who broke the silence first. Lillian shrugged. It could be. She certainly has the skill. You should have seen her costume, all silver, jewels and boiled leather, like a flipsy knight. She turned to Mr. Atkop to gauge his reaction. 
He was staring intently at the floor, seemingly fascinated by some piece of dirt or crack in the wood, clearly deep in thought. Several of the others began to offer their opinions. Did you mention the brooches or the guiding hand? asked Catherine. Lillian shook her head. No, I didn't want to scare her off. We arranged to meet in a couple of days. I can ask her then. Who was that fellow with the cane? The one you saw wearing one of the brooches? Asked Katrina. Lillian shrugged. He never gave a name, but he stayed close by the entire time I was with the Empress. He also wore a mask, but that wasn't unusual. Most of the palace staff were wearing them. There was a silence whilst the group considered Lillian's responses. Finally, Mr. Atkop stirred and came out of his contemplative trance. He addressed the group. We're asking the wrong questions, he said. Lillian smiled. Mr. Atikop fixed her with a cold stare and said, What we should be asking is... Lillian finished his sentence for him. What does the Empress want with Fritha? He nodded sagely, proud of his student. Lillian looked around at the furrowed brows and confused expressions on the rest of the group. Catherine shrugged when Lillian caught her eye. The only person who didn't look deep in thought was Zadok. Oh, that's the easy part. He spoke offhandedly, inspecting a piece of grime under one of his fingernails. The rest of the group looked at him. Lillian saw Katrina frown. When he failed to elaborate, Mr. Atikop nearly lost his patience. Please then, Zadok, won't you enlighten us? Zadok's eyes flared as he shot Atacom a wicked smile. Ah, excellent choice of words, Cromwell. Yes, let us shine the light on this little conundrum. Had it been any other leader, I would have been equally flummoxed by the request. But Empress Sylvia is not just any other leader. Her power was not God-given or inherited, it was earned. She worked for her place in that palace. Katrina scoffed. By marrying the old emperor? Yes, that must have been quite hard work. Zadok whipped round to look at her, shining the spotlight on her dark red curls. In all his years, the emperor never married, and he never bore an heir. If you think getting him to agree to find a wife in his old age was easy then you are mistaken. Empress Sylvia worked for that marriage, and when he died, she had to work to keep her place. Why didn't we find another emperor? Why didn't the position go to his brother? Hmm? That was her doing. She worked then, and she works now every day to keep her place in the seat of power. He paused for a second, allowing Catherine time to ask him something. It sounds like you admire her. Zadok looked at her. Oh, I do, madame. I may not agree with her choices, but I would admire anyone who works as hard at anything in the way she works at cunning, manipulation, and politics. This is why I say her interest in the hound is obvious. She is human, and she is bored of working, she is growing older and no longer wishes to constantly have to defend her position. 
she is looking for a means of securing her place. She wishes to be seen as more than merely human. With a creature such as that by her side, who could question her divine right to rule? There was another silence whilst the group considered this. Lillian looked back at Fritha. She felt a cold knot of anger forming in the pit of her stomach. Fritha was not a prop or some tool the Empress could use to impress people. She was her friend. A thought suddenly occurred to her. But if she wants Fritha, then why try to kill her? At this, it was William who offered an explanation. I've been thinking about that as well. I'm not sure she did want to kill her. Think about it. If someone walked into your room and tried to steal your things, what would Fritha do? Lillian nearly laughed. She would probably hurt them quite badly. Exactly. I think the goal of that night was the theft, and Fritha just sort of got in the way. Mr. Atkop nodded in understanding. I think you might be right about that. Lillian suddenly remembered something else and almost jumped out of her seat at the realization. The man! The one with the mask and the cane! He had a wound on his arm that looked like bite marks. I'll bet he was there. Fritha probably bit him when he saw him trying to steal the vials. Peter stirred in his chair and responded to the theory. So maybe that wasn't the Empress trying to kill Fritha. It was how she learned she existed. His mother proffered caution. We can't be sure that was under the orders of the Empress. The man with the cane could have been acting alone. Mr. Atkop breathed in and let out a deep sigh. It seems as though all signs point to this man. Lillian, if you are willing to ask your new noble friend about him, then we might be able to find out more that way. Lillian was about to readily agree when Catherine interrupted the proceedings. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry, if this guiding hand lot are as dangerous as you say, and if they have some connection with the Empress, then why are we getting involved? And why send Lillian? Lillian piped up. I don't mind going. Genevieve is very nice. I don't think she's part of the hand. You don't know that, my love, Catherine responded. Lillian felt her cheeks redden. How could Catherine be saying this? She had been there when they found Fritha half dead. She, of all people, should know how important this is. Catherine sensed Lillian's growing frustration. I know you want to go after the people that hurt Fritha, but is revenge really the best motivation? Fritha is healed. Why not leave the city for a while? Lillian didn't have an answer for this. Thankfully, Mr. Atkop did. If last night had gone differently... I would be inclined to agree with you, Mrs. Brown. But the Empress asked for Lillian personally. She expressed her desire to see her again. If we think that Lillian will simply be allowed to leave and get on with her life, then we are fools. Empress Sylvia gets what she wants. We would do better to try and navigate the rocks in the river rather than get out of the boat. There was a resigned silence. Lillian realised that Catherine was only looking out for her safety, but she still did not enjoy being told what she could or could not do. Not by her friends, and certainly not by an empress, whose every request came with the implication of threats and menace, no matter how kindly it was put. 
Suddenly, there was a shout and a flurry of cloak and movement. Lillian looked up to see Mr. Atacop standing up quickly. He gripped the back of his chair and threw it back and out of the circle. It clattered to the floor, causing several people to wince and Fritha to wake up and look around, startled. Lillian's heart began to beat quickly. She had never seen Mr. Atacop lose his temper like this. Not even when she had failed to block his attacks a hundred times during training, he had always kept his composure. He was pacing up and down now, running his hands across his head. No one spoke. The bigger picture was slowly revealing itself to Lillian. There was nowhere they could go where they would not be found. No move they could make that would not be countered. They were outnumbered and outmaneuvered. Lillian had been too focused on the details before, but Mr. Atticop's reaction to the whole situation had forced her to see the woods for the trees. The Empress controlled the law, the streets, the banks, the roads, the public perception, the very mood of the city. They were foxes, fighting individual claws, unable to step far enough back to see the bear that was wielding them. A cold, sick feeling entered the pit of Lillian's stomach. It was Zadok who broke the silence. This is all starting to feel familiar. His words hung in the air. He looked over at Katrina, whose face was a picture of melancholy. Mr. Atkop took in a deep breath and turned back to the group. Yes, yes it is, which is why we are not going to be making the same mistakes as last time. First of all, I will say that if any of you wish to leave at this point, you will not be judged. Lillian and I can handle this on our own. We will protect Fritha as best we can, whilst trying to stay safe and out of trouble. He directed this last point directly to Lillian, who rolled her eyes and nodded reluctantly. Mr. Atacop turned to the others. Thank you for your time this evening, but this is all too dangerous now. Even just meeting in this way could be construed as sedition. Please take care of yourselves and we will see you when all this business has blown over. He stuck his hand out and pointed to the trap door. Lillian was beginning to feel sad. The sadness faded somewhat, though, when she saw that no one was standing up. William shifted in his seat. I wish no offence when I say this, sir, but you can put that idea in the bin. Here, here, said Peter. Lillian smiled and caught Catherine's eye. She gave her a wide grin. She turned back to Mr. Atacop and thought she saw a small smile appear within the folds of his beard. This is a dangerous... He began to speak, but Katrina cut him off. Yes, yes, dangerous world. Don't take risks lightly. We've heard it all before, Cromwell. And may I remind you that we're all quite a bit older now. We have learned much these past years, and we have help now. She gestured to the younger members of the group. Her tone grew serious. We can do this. This time, we have a real chance. Lillian felt a shift in the air, a sense of long-forgotten ghosts coming back for a final haunting. There was a word or phrase that everyone had in their heads, but no one dared to speak aloud. Lillian had sensed it that morning when she walked to work. Mr. Twitchit had felt it too. The seeds of discontent had been planted years ago. 
Finally, the fruit of anger had grown in the heat of the summer, and now the crop of revolution was ripe and ready to reap. Mr. Atacop nodded. Very well, he said. Then let us change the world. There was a knock at the trap door. Seconds ago, Lillian had felt like celebrating, but now she was glancing around the small circle in panic. Everyone looked just as clueless as she was. Who is that? said Catherine in a whisper. Mr. Atticop's brow furrowed in suspicion. Suddenly, the trap door creaked open. Within two seconds, everyone was up on their feet. The sound of chair legs scraping on wood filled the air. William stepped in front of Catherine. Katrina reached into a pocket and pulled out a small, sharp-looking object that Lillian thought might be a knife. Mr. Atticop had the moon blade in his hand, raised and ready in a flash of silver. The only person who was still seated was Zadok, who merely gazed up at the commotion with curiosity, as if someone had just done a particularly strange-sounding sneeze. Lillian kept her eyes on the trap door. A huge pair of boots were making their way down the steps through the hole in the ceiling. The legs that followed were thick as tree trunks, and Lillian's stomach lurched in realisation. A beast of a man, two heads taller than anyone else in the room, appeared on the stairs. Each step made the rickety steps creak in pain. Deacon, thought Lillian, and if he's here, then that means... Sure enough, seconds later, Lillian's suspicions were confirmed. As Gus Deacon took his place at the bottom of the stairs, crouching slightly to stand guard, a second figure appeared. Well, 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 what have we here? The hoarse voice of a woman drifted unwelcome into Lillian's ears. Some kind of party? it said. A sleek and despicable form snaked its way slowly down into the basement. Oh, Cromwell, I do hate not being invited to parties. Lillian looked back at Mr. Atticop, his eyes narrowed in loathing. Hello, Breed. Hello! Thank you for listening to episode 35 of Ben Luna. I am Simon Maeder. The music was by Tom Figgins. Season 4 is only just getting started, but if you're enjoying it, please do all the things podcasts ask you to do. Spread the word, find us on social media, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, maybe, or any of the above. We're also going to be updating the Ben Luna Patreon so if you like the podcast and feel as though you want to support it just a little bit each month, maybe for the price of a pint or a cup of coffee, then head over to patreon.com forward slash Ben Luna and join the community there. 
Also, there is a donations page on our website, so if you just want to give us a little Christmas present, then that would be lovely too. Thank you again. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.